Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So, at four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual, because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable, it's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals, and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash prenatal. Hey, it's summer vacation time at Star Wars 7x7. And in past years, we've done flashback episodes in various themed capacities. And this time, considering that this is the 10th year of the podcast and we are on a long countdown <laughs> to the 10th anniversary, I thought it might be fun to look back at the most popular episodes of all time. So over the next year, we're going to count down from 100 to number one as far as the most downloaded episodes of the podcast and we're going to start with our summer vacation here and do the episodes from 100 to 91. We're going to continue with number 99 on the list. It's actually the first of three episodes that will appear in this set of 10 focused on the last Jedi novelization and it's going to cover Details about the Resistance escape from Dakar. This is episode 1349 from March of 2018. Hey Rebel Razor, I'm Alan Voivod, and this is Star Wars 7x7. So this is the next in a series of looks at the Last Jedi novelization by Jason Fry, which includes information about The Last Jedi that you didn't see on screen, and we're hopefully going to find out more about how all of that originated later this week, maybe even next week in the podcast. Details forthcoming, hang on for that. But today we're going to be talking about the evacuation of the Resistance from Dakar and and their narrow escape. And the new details we learn about that evacuation thanks to the Last Jedi novelization. As far as the Resistance ground forces go, we spend a lot more time with them in the novelization than we do in the movie. And specifically, we spend a lot more time with Lieutenant Connix, who of course is played by Billy Lord, that would be Carrie Fisher's daughter. She has to make a number of snap decisions about what they are and are not going to be able to evacuate once the First Order shows up because that severely cuts down the amount of time that they have to get stuff off the surface. Ultimately, she decides that she's got to prioritize the fuel supply because the ships that answered the distress call from the Resistance and came to Dakar arrived low on fuel, so she prioritizes draining as much of their fuel supply depot as possible, but the tanks... The siphoning takes a while to do, so they need some time to pull it off. They decide not to get computers and other equipment off, which turns out to be an okay decision because the First Order utterly obliterates the base. They don't send slicers down to try to extract information from those computers, so it's okay. And that's probably because General Hux thinks, oh, we don't need it because we're about to just wipe out the resistance entirely. And more about General Hux's strategy for this whole engagement in a moment. 
moment. But in the meantime, because the resistance ground forces need a distraction, they need something to stall for a little more time. That's where Poe gets his very bad idea to go out and call to general hugs. And if you didn't hear it in the movie, it's definitely a lot more prominent in the audio novelization. And it's, I'm sure, very apparent in the book as well, because it'll just say H-U-G-S when he's calling for general hugs, not general Hux. And Hux actually recognizes the name, not just as somebody who, oh, gee, they used to have prisoner on the finalizer until Kylo Ren let him slip from his grasp, but also he recognizes Poe as the pilot who delivered the killing blows to Starkiller Base. And so, as you can imagine, Hux doesn't like Poe one bit at all. And so this exchange is even more frustrating than we knew about in the movie, or at least that we probably even considered in the movie. Now, Poe's starfighter had been damaged in the Starkiller base engagement, and specifically there were problems with the fire control linkages, which gives a nice little explanation and extra background detail about why things went awry during The Last Jedi with his fire control, and why we had that extended sequence where BB-8 is having to fix it, which gets comical in the novelization because there is a lot of detail provided about all the alerts and system problems that are being reported by Black One's computers that BB-8 has to dismiss and deal with, and he's trying to do all this while trying to fix the main problem, which is with the fire control, but (laughs) there are so many other bizarre computer alerts that Black One is throwing at it that it has to deal with those calculations as well. So, a small little bit of drama that's happening within the larger drama for BB-8. Now, going back to the First Order, Hux had specifically ordered everyone not to deploy their TIE fighters, and the reason why was because he wanted to stage this dramatic destruction of the base with the orbital cannons from the Dreadnought. And Captain Kennedy, who's over on the Dreadnought, is not happy about this whole thing. He actually has the TIE fighters prepped for launch. Somebody starts to give him a little guff about that, one of his inferiors, not superiors, obviously. And he says, you know, there's a difference between launching and prepping for launching. And he's not happy with Hux's strategy, thinks that it's utter and complete ridiculousness. Meanwhile, over on the Radis, that is something that Admiral Akbar is going, okay, yeah, this is a typical General Hux move. All of the younger officers don't quite get it, and they're arguing about why he hasn't launched TIE Fighters. Akbar, who thinks of the other junior officers as fry, as in like little tiny babies, <laughs> knows that they're not considering Hux's personality as part of this whole situation, and that the reason why Hux isn't doing it is because he wants to create this big show about the might of the First Order and is not engaging in proper military strategy. Instead, he's trying to do something a little bit more political, if you will, much to his detriment, because it's that error in strategy that leads to the Dreadnought getting destroyed and ultimately to the Resistance escaping. Not for long, as we know, of course, but long enough to anger Supreme Leader Snoke and already probably one of the funniest moments in the audio novelization so far is the depiction of the call between Snoke and General Hux as it starts out. And I think you should be able to hear a little bit of that audio right now. Oh, good. Supreme Leader. Ah! Hux began, but an unseen force slammed him into the polished black floor of the bridge. Yeah, I love that. Ah! 
<laughs> when he gets pulled down, right, with the force and <laughs> dragged around. I thought that was very well done by Mark Thompson. And I'm going to have a few more comments about the audio and a couple more little notes about this first part of The Last Jedi novelization after the break. Stay tuned. Hey, Rebel Rouser. No sponsor on this episode today, so I just have a favor to ask instead. If you haven't done so already, please consider leaving a review for Star Wars 7x7 on your favorite podcast app. Not just a star rating, although I will say we are personally very proud of our near-unanimous five-star rating on iTunes. No, I just mean a thoughtful sentence or two about what you like about the podcast, or how happy you are that it's part of your daily routine. And more reviews means better visibility, which means more people get to share in a daily dose of Star Wars joy, and you want that, don't you? Of course you do. So please leave a review on your favorite podcast app today. I thank you, and the Star Wars 7x7 podcast thanks you. Welcome back. So a couple of other notes and miscellanea from this first part of The Last Jedi novelization. First of all, there's a reference to the launching of the Cobalt and Crimson Squadron bombers, but... It's not clear in the movie where they come from, and it's not exactly clear in the novelization either, but it sounds like they're being launched from the Ninka. Like, they didn't actually travel through hyperspace themselves. They may have been loaded into the bay of the Ninka and launched from there. At least that's what it sounds like from the novelization. And speaking of sound in the novelization, I have to say the audio is on point. It's really very cool when you get to hear the starfighter battle happening, and I think that's really the first part where the audio of the novelization is coming through very strong where you get to have the sound effects as part of the whole experience particularly with the bombers when they are doing anything related to the bombers you hear that hum in the background that's actually something very similar to what you hear in well actually i thought it was something similar to what i heard in 12 o'clock high when we were looking at that movie and watching all the dogfight sequences and stuff and you hear the drone of the planes as they're flying and it sounded very much like that so if it was in fact something similar along those lines i thought that was a very neat touch there's also in the audio for this first part of the novelization a name check to kai thranali and that is an abednedo x-wing pilot who appeared first in The Force Awakens, and it was one of those things where he showed up at the end of the movie wearing the Elo Asti costume, but Elo Asti had died in the Starkiller base attack, so this had to be another character, and the character was officially named in the Lego Star Wars The Force Awakens game as Kai Thranali, and then was brought back as one of the pilots in The Last Jedi, and in fact, he is a survivor of the events of The Last Jedi. He can be seen on the Millennium Falcon at the end of the movie. And the last little bit of trivia that I'll share with you from this first part is that Black One's computers and Black One, that would be Poe's X-Wing, is described as a very vainglorious ship. And I guess that possibly reflects the <laughs> personality of its pilot a little bit, maybe. But the computer apparently asked BB-8 once it had landed on the Rattus if the speed at which it traveled with that booster on it was the fastest speed ever recorded by a T-70 Starfighter, which it was. And then it asked BB-8 if it was the fastest speed ever recorded for a Starfighter, which BB-8 basically lied to it and said, yeah, it was, even though BB-8 did not bother to check whether this was in fact the case. So I thought that was a funny little touch too. 
Anyway, that is going to do it for this episode of the podcast and part one of the last Jedi novelization. Thank you so much for listening, as always. And may the Force be with you wherever in the world you may be. is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited by their respective trademark and copyright holders. May the Force be with them. All original content is copyrighted by Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it.